Tuesday. Let's have another one. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We're back in the saddle. Podcast number two. Appreciate you guys for tuning in to the Pure Tennis Podcast. Excited to get this going. My name is Nate Walworth. I'm joined by my producer in hand, Joe Patton. Appreciate you for having me. Love the studio. Love Rufus to Soul. Opening music, shout out. Uh, today we wanted to talk about a few things, but first I wanted to touch on this documentary of Marty Fish on Netflix called Untold Breaking Point. I strongly recommend this for any tennis fan, sports fan, anyone that's had anything to do with or had any issues with mental health. Is It's just like... I mean, I have a short attention span as it is, but this documentary kept me locked in for the hour plus, and it was just full of rich content. I mean, the behind-the-scenes footage, the what they what they got out of Marty and Andy Roddick, and like just revealing that whole relationship and the process that they had of becoming some of the best tennis players in the world, and all the pressures that kind of come with that was just really cool to hear, and it gave me a new appreciation for what these guys go through at the top, and kind of the outside things they have to deal with mentally and. Um, just the grind it really takes to be at the top of your profession. Um, Marty Fish, I just, I've always been a fan. I actually got to meet him in 2019 in Cincinnati at the Western and Southern in, uh, in one of the lounges, and he was just so gracious with his time. Uh, I mean, he acted like he was just a regular guy and was super nice talking to us, just telling us about life on tour and talking about some of the young guys that he was looking forward to watching. And then getting to see that and kind of where he came from and what he dealt with was just really neat. I know it got a lot of positive feedback on Twitter. It was talked about a lot amongst, I mean. It's just one episode, right? Or yeah. Because it, it, it says it's five-episode series, but it's just one on Marty. Just please. one on Marty, okay. I believe, yeah. Okay. I mean, just w- what a what a cool um, opportunity for Marty to be able to tell his story to, to the world and kind of how he came about his tennis career and how he kind of handled things on the court, on the, off the court. Um, just the whole dynamic with him and Andy Roddick was, was really cool and how it all played out as those guys were pushing each other from the time they were like 13, 14 years old. Um, but this, Marty talked about how Andy's dad was kind of got him on that new schedule of getting up at 5 a.m. I don't want to spoil it for you, Joe. I know you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. But um, just what, what, a, what a wild time for those guys to just grow up together and then ultimately reach the, the, the peak of their profession um, and be able to like play each other on big stages like in Cincinnati. And just a really cool documentary. I really think uh, – I hope you guys will enjoy it that are listening to this. And Marty is just forever a legend. One of the best returner, returner of serves that I've ever seen. And it was just really cool to hear how he kind of dedicated himself in the back end of his career and changed his game and kind of reached his goal of becoming a top eight player and reaching the ATP finals. Um, just and now he's got his opportunity with um, the da- uh, Team US Davis Cup and Hopefully he sticks around these young guys for a long time because I think he can be a strong influence on them and kind of what they're able to handle off the court and help that kind of guide them. So it looks like he won Indian Wells in 2009. Cool. That might have been his. I would ar- probably argue that might have been his biggest title. Biggest title. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, he lost in Cincinnati's final to Roddick. What year was that? Uh, 2000, 2003. 2003. Wow. Yeah. 18 years ago. Time flies. Oh, sorry, he, he, lost, he lost to Federer in 2010 in the Cincinnati match. Oh, no, you're right. Since 2003 to Roddick, too. Yep. Oh, sorry. Go Nuts. Ahead. So, anyway, he, Marty kind of touched on, um, I mean, it all stemmed from he built his whole career on um, kind of chasing this dream of becoming the top American, which he ultimately did, and he wanted to be 
somebody that was standing at the end of a Grand Slam final. But um, it all kind of came came to him where he was like with this mental illness, where he was set to play Roger Federer at the U.S. Open in the round of 16 uh, with the opportunity of a lifetime, and just the outside pressures were getting to his head. And ultimately, his wife had had said like, you know, you don't have to play this match, and he withdrew like for with with his mental illness. And it, he talked about how it was like he he had nobody to kind of look look at for guidance or direction because no athlete had ever kind of shown that vulnerability that he did and um, ultimately kind of revealed that they like the struggles they go through off the court do wear and tear on them and he was kind of hearing the voices in his head and um, yeah I mean that was just awesome documentary Netflix did a tremendous job telling that story and it was really cool to see all the positive feedback on social media and such that Marty got and I think it is like he's just a great guy and seems to really be comfortable in his own skin these days and just happy that he's kind of had his shine here after it's all said and done. Um, but yeah, that's that's that. Let me know if you guys, if you guys do watch that, make sure to let me know your guys' thoughts. You guys can find me on social media at Nate Walworth on Instagram, at Nate underscore Walworth on Twitter. Um, I wanted to also talk about the Labor Cup. Coming up on the 24th is when it starts. The boys are headed to Boston. You got Team World versus Team Europe. Uh, one of the coolest things I think that happens in tennis on an annual basis just the anything that tennis can do to provide a, a better team aspect, team building type atmosphere, I'm all in for. I mean, Team World's talking talking their junk. Uh, you know, Nick Kyrgios leads that, that that parade, talks shit, says these guys don't get along, and he's talked about how Team World's chemistry is just head and shoulders above. And it'll be interesting to see what how Team Europe responds to that. I'm, I mean, yeah. So, so Team World, you got Diego Schwartzman, Shapovalov, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Kyrgios, Isner, Opelka, with Jack Sock as an alternate. And then Europe, they're loaded. We I got mean, the hype, though. We got that one. We down. do got the serve bot. We got the serve bot height. Uh, we got two six. We got 6'10", Isner, 7-foot Opelka. Uh, I think Kyrgios is like 6'6". Six, six. He's six. He's, besides Diego. Di- Diego brings that down by about two feet. Stands at about 5'5". Five five. Uh, Di- Diego just lost in the Davis Cup on clay. To a junior. To a junior, an 18-year-old junior who had yet to play a, an official ATP match. Uh, his name is Daniil Ostapenkov, I believe. That's right. If I'm saying it correctly, just he lost three and four. I mean, just pretty yeah. wild. The kid was 850. He just lost to a 853 in the juniors. In the juniors on the junior circuit. So that I hope that doesn't damage his his confidence heading into heading to Boston this week, because Team World's going to need his him at his best to have, they want to have a chance. Um, but this whole labor couple, it's just what is it's just a cool setup. So you play three singles matches and one doubles match Friday through Sunday. Every match on Friday is worth one point. Matches on Saturday are worth two points, and then matches on Sunday are worth three points. And you're playing the first team to get to 13 points wins. If it's tied 12 all, you play a deciding doubles match. So just a really cool format. Um, I think if you look on paper, Team Europe, Medvedev, Sitsipas, Sasha. Casper Ruud, Matteo Berrettini, and Andre Rublev. That's a that's a tall order. I mean, they don't even have Novak and Rafa in the mix, and um, so yeah, everybody in the top eight is from Europe as it is right now. Hopefully, one of these guys from Team World. I'm thinking Felix could make that push, uh, but they're going to need some of these guys to to crank out some upsets. I think Opelka can do it. I think even if Isner's on his, if Isner's having a big day serving with the forehand, he could do it. I don't know where Kyrgios' singles game is right now. He hasn't shown that he's been able to kind of put together back-to-back performances in, a, in some time. But this event is always exciting. 
in Boston. Those fans are going to be having that place pretty lit up, I assume. Speaking of mental health, Diego Schwartzman mentioned that after the loss to Oskopenko, uh-huh. he just had a beer and got his hair cut. So, you know, Did he really? That's a, that's a good way, of, I think, of approaching it instead of sitting there and, and, and dwelling on it. Loss. No, for sure. Just I, get I, your hair cut. Just go get your hair cut. Go find your barber. Have some barbershop talk. That's funny. Um, so I'm really excited for this whole event. I there's some you know with between Sitsipas and Sasha and and Daniil, those guys they've they've had their off court or on court issues with each other. Sitsipas's this whole toilet gate thing is has kind of um, made its way to, to Team Europe. So we'll see how those guys kind of what their team chemistry looks like and if that has any uh, ill effects on on their doubles teams. But super excited about that, and I think. If tennis can kind of market that as a uh, staple event of the ca- on the calendar, that'll be a, a pretty cool event that fans can relate to and kind of get away from the individualism of of what tennis is is on the tour. So if it just if it ends though this weekend, right? If yeah. The Labor Cup happens this weekend. Ends this weekend. Ends on Sunday. Okay. So you got John McEnroe, Bjorn Borg. They get to kind of restore that rivalry as the captains of of Team World and Team Team Europe. And there is some strategy behind that as we were looking up. I mean, it's literally like you're handing a blind card to the other captain and they fill out their card. And so you don't know who you're playing until you walk out on the court. And I also just love when you watch these events like Davis Cup and Laver, you get to um, like these, they sit in the box near the players the whole match. And so you get to kind of cheer on your, your teammates and talk to them and coach them through these situations that otherwise on tour, you, it's, it's illegal for now. So I just think that adds a unique aspect of the game and, some of these guys like Kyrgios, they really feed off of it in that environment, and they love like the controversy. I remember when McEnroe and Kyrgios attacked the uh, chair, the chair umpire with some verbal abuse uh, last last outing, which is just like, what else can you ask for as a tennis fan to see that drama play out? Um, anyway, is there is there you got a prediction on this? It, on paper, it's it probably kind of easy yeah, to make it, but what? It looks a little rough. It I'm, does. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say that you know the the blue team. Is gonna get him. I think Rublev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, Medvedev, Zverev. I mean, that's there's yeah. like it's just it looks rough. There's no drop off really there from top to bottom. They, I mean eight, I mean six really solid guys. <laughs> um, but you know, but you never know. I think in this type of um, competition, I really do think team chemistry plays a factor, and it'll we'll, we'll be able to see what these guys look like when they're all teamed up together without Novak and Rafa. Kind of holding it, and, and Roger as well, obviously holding it down. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, we just wrapped up the final major of the year. We did our our recap on our last pod. Check it out. Yeah, please check that out. I think that one was was a fun one to talk about the U.S. Open and the the storylines that ensued, and one of the best majors that I've ever been a, been a part of to, as a fan. Um, but that was a lot of fun. We didn't really touch on what what Novak was after as much as I had hoped. But Novak was just chasing history. I mean, he almost just completed the career Grand Slam, something that only Rod Laver has done. And, I mean, that would have been one of the most incredible feats that I've witnessed in the sports in my lifetime as a, as a, as a big sports guy um, in any sport. I mean, that's, that's, to, that's to me as impressive as, like, a Michael Jordan going 6-for-6 six six in the finals. If you, like, winning all four slams in four different, like, four different surface, I mean, two hard court slams. Chris Everett got it, right? She got the golden slam. She got the golden. That's right. Yep, 
Yeah. Only male. So I guess only male. Chris Everett did get. Yep. So she's. Oh, a, did she get it? I, didn't I believe she did. I think. Or no, Steffi Graf. Was it Steffi Graf? Okay, Steffi Graf. Steffi Graf. Steffi Graf. Did she we get the Golden Slam? And then she, but did she get all four majors? Did she just get the gold? No, she got the Golden Slam. She completed the gold. She okay. completed her uh, with with the Olympic gold as well. So shout out to Steffi Graf, Andre Agassi. Andre Agassi and her need to. They need to get back on tour in some type of mixed doubles event. Um, so yeah, do you? What do you think about Novak chasing twenty one? Where do you like? There was a time and point before Wimbledon was canceled due to COVID and before he was um, kicked off the U.S. Open 2000, uh, what was that, 2020 or 2019, no, 2020 with, when he hit the, the uh, lines person. Yep. Um, I mean, if, if you give him those two majors, he's, he's looking at 22. Those right. were two majors that I thought he was going to be highly favored in. But now he's still at 20. He seems to be um, just a little bit worn down, maybe mentally and physically. Do we think he's still able to kind of – build himself back up and take on the challenges of next year and, and, and kind of take over this. this. Uh I was surprised that the that the gold medal didn't go to him. So then when he lost, I, I didn't think, I mean, after watching him completely dominate Medvedev mm-hmm. in the Australian Open, I didn't think that there was, I thought he was going to get it. Like you're right, it looked like he was hurt. So maybe a year, you know, give him a little break, come back, win the Australian Open at mm-hmm. 21. That would be my my gut says that he's still the best player in the whole world. But, mm-hmm. Australia is uh, a place where he's had plenty of success. Yeah, but it's hard. I mean, you look at the group of guys that are coming out that just want to beat him. You got Verstead beat him earlier this year in his own town. Mm-hmm. Um, and that again, it was the the, the Olympics. So I don't. I, it, there, he's definitely more vulnerable than he was, but. I still think he's. I think he's the best player. So mm-hmm. may, I think he gets it next year. Maybe, maybe gets two next year as well. And, that'd be my guess. And Medvedev put on a hell of a show in the final. I mean, make no mistake, he played an amazing match. He was yeah. cl- he was clean. He, I mean, he did what he had to do to take down Novak in straight sets. But I just thought from from the beginning, something just looked off with Novak. There was a lack of pop. His he didn't seem to be moving as, as well as he had. He wasn't getting out of the corners. That's, it's, it's that's cl- why he has no cutback corner shots mm-hmm. that he typically takes those big guys down with. It looked like he gets the whole court and just pops one past you. So it, it, he wasn't doing that. He started coming to the net on some just uh, behind some weaker approach shots. He didn't look. He never really looked comfortable. I mean, and credit to Daniil from from being. I mean, Daniil's serve was on point, and then Daniil's return of serve is just. He stands like, I mean. 18, 16 feet back, whatever it is, it's an ins- it's way further back than anybody else does. It's like it's Rafa like, and mm-hmm. he's still able to find the angles and and just the depth on his ball, which I mean, it ended up doing some real damage on Novak, and Novak seemed to just lose his legs completely. Yeah, I mean, you take the clay portion out of the out of the year, and you put Medvedev at number one, clearly. Dude, <laughs> no, like we said on the last podcast, I mean, I stand by it. Medvedev has been the best hardcore player since twenty eighteen. Uh, I know his. I know Novak. I saw somebody responded and said that Novak has a higher winning percentage, um, but Medvedev has played more matches on there, and I feel like he's been more susceptible to a few of those losses. But he's been just so impressive on this on the concrete, and he, his movement, his his serve, his just his his playing style is just perfect for that, especially the American hardcore um, season where it's in that hot heat. Yeah, where it plays faster, and I mean he he thrives on it so. He seems to be a, a real issue for Novak's pursuit of 21. I would love to see Rafa get healthy and make another push on the clay. I don't know what Ra- what Rafa's future holds on the hard courts or grass, but I know he I know he's going to be in contention at at Roland Garros again uh, if healthy. Absolutely. 
Um, so I do think, I mean, when, it, when it's all said and done, I do think Novak finishes on top. I think he can still get to 20, 22, 23, 24 if he's feeling great. I don't think the, the numbers people were throwing out initially of 27, 28 majors is attainable anymore. I mean, I know, I know and I respect what Novak's going to do with his, his work ethic. I mean, the dude stretches for four hours a day. So I, I expect him to prolong his career as long as he can. It's just like with every great player, though, like in, in, in if you're talking about tennis or you're talking about golf, they're the best when they're at the top and they're unbeatable in everyone's mind. But then you get one guy beats them, mm-hmm. and then immediately no one sees can envision them winning again because it's just mm-hmm. such an incredible path to win a slam. It's insane. You have to win seven matches versus seven of the uh, best. The best players. Exactly, and you have to do it. You have to win three sets. Seven times. Yeah, and really, if you're not getting through the, some of those earlier matches in a dominating fashion, mm-hmm. you're, you're setting yourself up to come apart in the finals. As, as you look at the Australian Open, you have Medvedev. He was exhausted. Like He got to the final, but he just gets straight-setted by Novak. Mm-hmm. And then he mm-hmm. does the same thing to him. We call that the Kaden Shikori uh, problem, where he where he just seems to just... He can't get out of matches in three or four sets. And when, when you get to those... When those first three or four rounds, you when you get pushed to five sets... It just empties the gas tank, and week two is just, yep. Um, so Novak's been able to usually hold up pretty well through those first few weeks, and or first two weeks. Um, but we'll see what he's able to kind of come to, come put together for 2022. I, I do expect him to play in the ATP Tour Finals, uh, if healthy. And that's that's the next event I want to touch on, is that is a, uh, a loaded field right now as it stands, where you got Novak, Daniil, Steph, Sasha, Andre, Mateo, Rafa, Casper, is your top eight right now? I I would be surprised if Rafa makes that um, to turn. So if, if Rafa taps, you have Felix Auger-Leosim, Hercotch, and Center uh, waiting to grab that A spot. Um, that was that's to me that's one of my favorite events to watch of the year. It's two out of three sets, so it's not it's not the major. It's not as wear and tear as the uh, as the Grand Slams, yeah. but I mean just the tennis that that you get. With the top eight guys basically playing around Robin is, it's amazing. I mean, that's what these guys these guys fight their whole life to be in this event, to be re- recognized as a top t- ten player in their. I mean, it's just incredible stuff. And uh, shout out to Casper Ruud makes his top ten debut this year. Uh, just last week, actually hopped in there after the U.S. Open, and that dude is just. I mean, I would have I would have never guessed two or three years ago that that guy would be a top ten tennis player. Yeah, he's good. I mean, with, but he's. I mean, he's a. Counter, he can be a great p- counter puncher. He's got enough pop to kind of move move some of these guys around and just super steady off the off the ground. So he's he's somebody that you don't want to play if you're not in your A game. But um, yeah, who's your prediction for the uh, ATP Tour Finals? Who do you think's taking it this year? Uh, That's an event that Rafa Nadal has yet to win in his career, which oh, is really? which is just wild to me. Did not know that. Who do you who do you, th- you think your, you think your guy Daniil can uh, can yeah. can wrap up his 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 season? With with another hardcore title, that'd be insane. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't think anyone wins back to back tournaments anymore. I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but you wonder with Sasha has also had a, I mean, a pretty tough stretch here this summer. We're going from the Olympics to Cincinnati to the U.S. Open, and so we'll see what he looks like. He's he had a lot of momentum. He pushed he pushed Novak to to a, a tough five setter. So we'll see what I think. Sasha's got a lot of momentum coming in. Yeah. Um. If I had to take if I had to take a pick, I'll take. I'll take Sasha. Two out of three sets. He just needs the big, big serve, big forehand. I don't know how fresh Daniel and Novak will be, uh, but super excited for that event. Never disappoints. Yep. 
Definitely. Lastly, I want to touch on is college tennis is back. I mean, this is college tennis is it needs it needs a spotlight. Cracked Rackets does a phenomenal job covering the sport, and if we can get more eyeballs on college tennis, I think fans will really take a liking to it because the format college tennis is lives on is just phenomenal. You got so you got start off with three doubles matches, quick hitting. You just play the six games, no ad scoring, and it's electric. I mean. It's a whole different atmosphere than what you see on tour, and you just the the rivalries truly exist between some of these teams and these coaches and these fans. And when you get, I mean, I was just at a couple. Um, I was at an invitational at uh, UC this past weekend watching the women. I mean, it's just the just the point play is just so fun to watch, and these girls are leaving their bodies on the line. I mean, the the, the cramps that the, these. I mean, when you play an event like that and you're playing three or four matches a day. By that third or fourth match, I mean your your body is taking a beating. Ow. You got girls chugging pickle juice, drinking salt pack or um, slurping down salt packs. However, I mean, it's just like I don't know if tennis gets enough appreciation and uh, respect from other athletes as far as the conditioning and kind of what these players go through on a on a, on a weekly basis, uh, battling it out for their school. And I would love to help to kind of dive into college tennis a little deeper this year. Uh, we have some great access in Cincinnati to. A lot of local teams that are really good. With you got um, Xavier, UC, Dayton, Ohio State. Uh, you got Louisville near us, uh, Purdue, Indiana. So there's a lot of talent in the area. Um, I would love to hop on that wagon. Is is this year is? I mean, it's always exciting. And you saw in the U.S. Open how many? I think there was 13 former college players in the draw. I think six of them advanced. I don't hold me to that, but I believe six advanced to round two. So I mean, college tennis is becoming a factor even on the tour level. And in the women's as well, that was that's that's on the ATP side, but in the women's as well, as people are allowed, I mean, they're seeing that you can use this platform and use this training, um, kind of like with the, the facilities and the and the coaching at that level is is adequate and it's at a level that is it's probably never been before, and um, hopefully more programs are are not taken away from the sport as uh, we've we've seen a lot of programs lost over the last few years due to Title IX and just f funding and stuff, but um, college tennis, we're going to make a tennis point. We're going to make a big uh, push to uh, give these athletes the platform and the, and the spotlight that they deserve coming up this year. And hope, hopefully you guys enjoy that coverage because it's a ton of fun and ITA tennis is amazing. So um, with that being said, we can wrap up our episode two. You got any final thoughts? What's what's on your mind just, in the tennis world these days? Just make sure to check out our first podcast. There was a Nate said the U.S. Open um, this is podcast number two check us out on SoundCloud for sure we'll be on hopefully we'll be on Spotify and Apple Music here shortly we're, getting, we're kind of cleaning out the kinks and uh, yeah Pure Tennis podcast is up and running hopefully you guys enjoy we will start kind of featuring guests as we move along and thanks again for listening guys have a great Tuesday